Thank you, worship team. Welcome all of you here present. Those of you watching online, we welcome you as well. Uh, we're so glad you could join us and uh, be here together as we uh, continue. Uh, we're not in the same series. We're, we want to talk today about God's secret for surviving tough times. There's no doubt that these last 13, 14 months have been tough times. I'm just thinking as a pastor of the situations I've had to walk and, and help people through uh, loss of spouses, physical illness, the unemployment, uh, dreams that have you know, been crushed, uh, opportunities to celebrate are, are being postponed because you can't do the things you hope to do. And so the question is, how do we survive the tough times? And I went to the Bible. I thought, you know, how, how, do we, how do we answer this question? How do we survive in tough times? And, and the first thing, of course, I, I thought of was that in tough times we can pray, right? Which is very nice to say, go ahead and pray. And, and maybe you, like me, uh, when I was younger, are like, that's great. I, but what does that actually mean? I remember going to Bible college and they're like, okay, let's have a day of prayer. A day of prayer, like like a whole day, like what hours? You mean hours of prayer? You know. And I went to the library and I took out this old book on prayer because I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing. I know the Lord's prayer, I know the meal prayer, but what what prayer? Like what, what what does prayer mean? But the Bible and specifically the Psalms, I believe, gives us a template for surviving tough times in prayer. And the Psalms essentially are a collection of Hebrew poetry, which are prayers to God. How we can respond and survive through tough times. David Taylor says this, the Psalms show us what prayer looks like. The Psalms give voice to the whole anatomy of the soul. So how do you pray? Well, well look in the Psalms and discover how the men of old approached God and, and, and the people of God approached God. And these psalms would be used in corporate and in private worship and have now for centuries. They show us what prayer looks like. They give a voice to the whole anatomy of the soul. Tim Keller wrote, he said, the, the psalms are a medicine chest for the heart. You see, they get to that, that place that, that maybe you struggle. Prayer is a very formal thing. It's a very, you know, it requires a certain liturgy, a certain process. But then when you get to the Psalms, you discover a whole different picture of prayer. They're a medicine chest for the heart. That is, they have the prescriptions and the antidotes to the heaviness and to the hurts that lie deep within our heart. Alan Palmer in his commentary on the Psalms said that the Psalms contain all the music of the human heart, the highs and the lows, and everything in between. The Psalms invite us to, to express to God every part of our lives, not just the good, but also the bad, the hard, the difficult, the pain. Um, they are God's secret for surviving tough times. Athanasius, who was a church leader in the 4th century, said, the Psalms have a unique place in the Bible because most of Scripture speaks to us while the Psalms speak for us. You know, we, 
We read the Bible, it's like, yeah, this is God's message to me. But then we read the Psalms, it's not just God's message to me, but it's, it's, it's how I can also respond back to God. And so as I was thinking about this, I thought, you know, what, what do we need in today's circumstances for our church family, for the people that I see struggling, talking to me about depression, anxiety, stress, just the, the uncertainty of the future and all these things, the, the loss of, of, of planned events, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, what is the appropriate response? Because sometimes in the church, it's like, well, just be happy. Don't worry, be happy. You know, just smile. God's going to work it out. It's all going to be good, la, 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 you know. And if you're, if you're negative, if you're, if you're, if you're expressing that, that guttural emotion, that, that raw, the rawness of life, you know, some Christians might say, well, you're very unspiritual. Like how? Boy, how could you be so so crass about life, you know, just get positive, you know, and of course we've been feeding our souls on positive thinking since the 60s, 70s, 80s, even there's preachers that get up and talk about just change your attitude, change your attitude, and I believe in having a Christ-centered attitude, but when I come to the Psalms, it gives me license to bring everything to God, even lament. You see, the next slide will tell us the secret to survival is lament. A lament arises from the midst of distress and pleads with God for help, says Bellinger. Lament. Maybe you haven't heard this, but maybe you already have it. And if it is a re- review, I just it's a good reminder because I've studied the Psalms at the undergraduate level, at the graduate level. I've preached the Psalms, but this kind of hit me like, like a truck just even in this COVID situation we're in where I said, here is the response. It's not about just, just be more positive and just get, you know, get, get a happy smile on and just, just grin through it. It's, it's no, no, take it right to God directly. Everything, without reservation. He can handle your pain, your suffering, your anger. It's fine. The Psalms give you license to do that. The tearfund.org website says, to lament is always an act of drawing near to God with all our raw questions and unpolished prayers. Lament is a place where Christians bring our emotions to God, even if it does not seem pretty or polite. A new life, we're all about real, genuine Christianity, following Jesus in, in, in real up and downs, and, and you know, just everyone's welcome in this church, and it doesn't matter what your background is, and, you know, the mistakes you've made, you're, you can discover God's grace here, and, so, and you don't have to wear certain clothes when you come in. I mean, we are just a real church for real people, but I believe this is a piece of that, where we come to God and bring lament to him. Lament in the Bible speaks of betrayal and abandonment, disappointment with God, injustice and enemy attacks, illness and death. The lament psalms are some of ancient Israel's expressions of responding to and processing pain. As cries to God, biblical laments are a vehicle responding to pain and approaching God, says Webster and Beach. The psalms of lament are for people in pain to help them live with God, says Feinberg. And so I've heard a lot of pain the last couple months for sure. People say, man, I'm just struggling. And of course, Christians struggle to know how to respond, right? Well, maybe I should become politically active and just, you know, you know just go against everything. Or maybe I should just dig a hole and, and hide in it, you know? And, 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 and there's all these responses, you know, flee, fight, and in between, it's like, and, and, and who knows what, but the, when I come to a spiritual response, the Psalms say, you know what, well, you can bring those 
issues, those concerns to God directly in the form of a lament. At least 50 of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. A third of the Psalms, 150, are, are these cries out to God. And most of them are written by David. The man after God's own heart, bringing forth his pain, his suffering, his difficulty, right to, directly to God. And throughout history, men and women have found just this resource of the Psalms to help them through the tough times that they are facing. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, German theologian who who left Germany during the Second World War, but actually went back because he wanted to help sort of his German brothers and sisters, got arrested, died in a prison camp. But, but you know, he would say of the Psalms, he said, I am reading the Psalms daily as I've done for years. I know them and love them more than any other book in the Bible. That was just before he was executed. Klaus Westermann wrote this great commentary on the Psalms as well. And and he spent time in a Russian prison camp and he had this little book of Psalms and he just went through it, went through it, went through it, went through it. And then when he got out and was able to get back into the scholarly work, he wrote this wonderful work on the Psalms, but it, it came out of that deep anguish of the soul of, in a Russian prison camp where, 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 where he just had the Psalms and, and it could just find God's support for himself in that time of need. There is a structure to lament, and it's not always rigid, but there are basic movements in the lament. I want to just give you that, that structure. The first part of a lament psalm is the lament. You bring your concerns to God. Honest. I'm angry. I'm upset. How long, O oh Lord? Why do the wicked prosper? And, you know, my enemy is pursuing me, or death stands right on the doorstep. And what now, Lord? What now? And it's just bringing forth this complaint. Some might call it the argument. Not, not like a teenager arguing with his parents, but more like a, a legal case, like a lawyer pleading a case. Lord, here is my case. I'm living a righteous life, but I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing these realities, and that doesn't make sense to me, because what I know to be true and what I'm currently experiencing are, are miles apart. Lord, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? It's you bring your concerns to God. Step two is the request or petition. In light of that lament, you say, now, Lord, Act, listen, look, help, respond. And, and, and you bring a, a request to God. The third is a, after you've kind of worked through the valley, you've gone through the clouds, uh, the storm has, has, has gone all around you, you bring the request, and then there, there's a turning point there. In, in the Hebrew, there's, there's a marker there that, that indicates that, no, the, the psalmist turned. And the psalmist gets to this place of a confession of trust. They remember God's goodness in the past. No, no, I, I know I'm experiencing this now, but I remember, I remember, I remember what you did. I remember how you acted. I remember this situation. I remember not only in my history, but in biblical history, how, you, how, how you've been faithful. And, and, and there's, this, there's this realization that as you move through the storm, you get to the other side and the sun begins to shine. The confession of trust. And then fourthly is the, the praise, the doxological response. It, you, you praise God. For many of the lament psalms, the situation hasn't changed. The circumstances leading to the lament are still active, and yet, and yet somehow the worshiper has come to this place of just abiding faith in Jesus and in God in, in that moment of, of lament. 
that they, despite the fact that the enemy is still there, the, the sickness is still there, the darkness is still there, God's light shines through and brings them to a place of praise, even though they're still feeling everything that they felt before. But, but something has changed, and that change is the, the reality of faith. That the God has met them in their moment of need and has given them hope for the future. We'll, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, Brian Dirksen is... Uh, Man, that's a songwriter, worship leader. He wrote songs like, Come Now is the Time to Worship, As the Deer, Hope of the Nations. He used to teach at Prairie. And one of the things that he's gotten into lately is, is, is leading lament corporately in, in churches. And Faith Today had an interview with him, and, and he, he, I just want to read just a little excerpt from this interview for you. The question was, we see you as someone who's really good at lament. How has that played a part in your writing life? And he responds, this is Brian Dirksen. Practicing lament and leading lament has often put me, I would say, outside the camp, especially in the modern worship world. It's interesting. I was first drawn to practicing it and leading lament, not out of personal pain and suffering, but out of a deep sense of calling. As I explored and dove into scripture, and as I read about history, I began to realize we live in a culture that's really good at celebrating people's successes and high points, but it does very poorly at walking alongside of the grieving and broken. The most healthy human relationships are those that can do both really well. Grieve with the grieving, celebrate with the celebrating. I had this deep feeling about the injustice of the silencing of lament in our houses of faith. That the suffering who enter our houses of worship and don't hear the song, their song. I felt what I was wanting to do was completely out of sync with what was popular. I spent long periods of time wrestling with God, asking God for direction. Out of that time, I felt he spoke two things to me. Lead worship with a whisper and sing over the suffering. And those two things have stuck with me for life. <laughs> Lament. And so we'll get to this, but next week we're going to have a service of lament. I've never done this before. But I just, I believed in the context of what we were walking through as a church, the, the feelings and the, and the angst that I hear in the hearts of, of, of the people that I talk to as was sense of, we need a, a way to respond. How do we respond? You know, political action, you know, fight the government, do this, do that, you know, and I mean, and, and those are all options, but I said, what is the spiritual option? What is the first option that we should come to? And I said, let's come to God's word, let's discover prayer, and let's discover lament. It's a good starting point. Out of that might come action, and that's fine. You should write letters and call people and, and do things, but it says, how do we approach God in the midst of our pain and our suffering and our anger and our frustration? Well, we can lament. And so I want to take us to Psalm 13 and just walk through one of the Psalms of lament with me. See how David processes his circumstances and, and give us a, a bit of a template for, for our own process of, of dealing with and lamenting the struggles and the trials and the difficulties of our own lives. In Psalm 13, verse 1, he begins with this phrase, How long, Lord, will you continue to ignore me? How long will you pay no attention to me? I mean, he's, he's, he, he's like, Lord, this has been going on for a long time. It begins with, he's directing God, addressing him directly. It's not about him yet. He'll get there in verse two, but he's like, Lord, how long will you forget me? 
will you literally hide your face from me? How long, Lord? I mean, you, you've probably felt that way. How long, Lord? How long am I going to be stuck in this dead-end job? How long, O oh Lord, until you enable me to have children? How long, O oh Lord, until you know, my marriage gets better? How long, O oh Lord, and, and, and when, when are these health issues ever going to end? How long, how long? I mean, just name it. How long will you forget me? It's like God has locked the door, turned off the lights, and is nowhere to be found. And you're calling, Lord, how long? You're calling him. And he's, it's not like, he's not even picking up the phone. He's not even giving you that, sorry, can't talk now message. He's not even answering. And he's turned his phone off. In fact, he sees your number. He turns his phone off and, and shoves it under the cushion. And he, he's just ignoring you. That's exactly how the psalmist feels in this moment, David. He says, how long will you turn your face, hide your face from me? Now, in the, in the, in the Hebrew idea, like the face of God was his favor, his goodness, his blessing, you know, the ironic blessing numbers, may the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. Like that's, that was the blessing the priest gave you. But he's like, right now, I don't feel like your face is anywhere to be found. It's, I just see your back, Lord. I'm not even your back. You're nowhere. We've all had those experiences of prayer where you, you, you pray and nothing happens. It just, it's like hitting that drywall, bounces off the ceiling like sound waves. And you're like, where is it going? How long? How long? And he continues in verse two, and he says, how long must I worry and suffer in broad daylight? How long will my enemy gloat over me? The, the how long just keeps, you know, building in intensity. How long, how long is, like now how long are you, but now how long me, Lord? How long will I feel this way? How long will I be stuck in this prison, which is my own mind? This is, this is COVID. People get stuck in their heads and they're bouncing around. We had this stray cat once that showed up. Somehow we caught the thing. We had this rabbit cage. And my dad threw it in the cage because we were going to take it for a drive. <laughs> and that thing started running around the cage, bouncing off the sides of the cage. It was just freaking out. And that's what happens in our heads with COVID. And other situations like this. We get imprisoned in, in this, these thoughts and they bounce around. And, and the more we think about it, the worse it gets. And he's like, the longer this goes on, the, 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 it's crazy. I'm just bouncing around, bouncing around, bouncing around. I'm stuck in my own head. Some of you understand this experience. It's a dangerous place to be if you stay there. The cat will eventually, you know, get a concussion and bleed and, and whatever, you know. And we, we took it for a drive. We let it out and it, near farmers because farmers love cats, right? And, and we never, you know, came back. But, but, but here it is, you know, bouncing around in our head, in our head, in our head. He's like, all day long this is going on. And then there's the enemy. 47 of 50 of these psalms of petition or lament include an enemy. In spiritual terms, this describes the spiritual battle we're in, but in physical terms, oftentimes David had a, a literal enemy, someone that was chasing him, someone that was imprisoning him, someone that was stalking him. And it, it, they're always, someone that was, and, and the enemy here is someone just waiting for them to fall, to fail, and to die. 
And sometimes you feel like that. You're like, I've chosen the righteous path. I'm doing the right thing. But there are people around just waiting for me to fail. And they're going to celebrate when it happens. Or when something bad happens, and we see, where is your God? He's nowhere to be found. Ha, ha, ha. And you're like, God, I've, I've, I've testified for you. I've, I've talked about you. I've, you know, I've pointed people to you. And now that I'm failing, they're laughing at me and they're laughing at you. How long? How long? How long? Lament makes us uncomfortable when you have to listen to it. You just want it to end. And the good thing about lament is there is a process there, but, but you have to give expression to those feelings. And some of us are not very good at expressing our feelings. It's not natural. If you grew up in a, in a house or a culture like mine, I mean, if you're crying, and I've said this to my own children, okay, quit crying, stop whining, stop blubbering, you know, blah, blah, you know, and, and there's a time for that, but then there's also time to just allow those tears to flow and, and get them out and then move on. But you got to keep moving through the man. You can't stop. If you stay here, it's a horrible place. There's like a cloud, your pig pen, right? There's that dust cloud that follows you everywhere. <laughs> and people see you coming and they see the clouds, they hear the thunder, like, oh no, here comes the lamenter. Now, see, it's okay, but, but true friends can, can handle lament, but then we have to proceed through lament to this request or petition. See verse three? Look at me. Answer me. Revive me, or else I will die. The idea of revive is literally restore the brightness to my eyes. My eyes are going dim. I mean, potentially the historical situation is he's close to death. And you know the movie, you know, when someone's dying in a movie, it's sort of that, that eye scene where the actor kind of lets their eyes go blank, and you're like, oh, they're dead, you know. And this, this is what's happening. The, the eyes are getting dim. It's getting close. I don't know if I'm going to hit another sun's rise and, and, and help me, Lord, right now, because it's really close. And he brings his request to God. Please take notice, God. Pay attention. Respond to me. Give, give me some answer, Lord. Some answer, please, some answer. And then he says in verse four, you know, then my enemy will say I have defeated him and my foes will rejoice because I am upended or literally shaken. The word as the idea is uh, I've lost my roots and I'm falling over. It's that tree, you know, sometimes when there's a fire in the midst of like a peat moss or, you know, a bog like that, the, uh, the fire will, will smolder underneath and it'll burn all the roots and all the trees will just fall over. He's like, you know, the roots are getting burnt and then I'm just going to fall over because my enemies are going to win the day. And, and it'll be over. He's giving his honest fears. I'm just afraid that, that I'm just going to, it's going to be done. So, so answer me, re restore me, uh, be here for me, revive me, or else I'm going to die. And we're not sure now at this point if, if there's a pause or if he just continues on. Some would suggest, like Brueggemann, that, that there is a huge pause and then verse 5 starts a whole new chapter. But others say, no, no, he, he answers the new chapter even though the, the, the situation is still the same. But in verse Five, there's a, a noticeable change. And notice in verse five, it says, but, but. In the Hebrew, it's called a vav consecutive. It's, it's a marker, a grammatical marker, which says, no, no, there's a change now. 
all that stuff, pouring it out, giving it to God, asking him for response, calling out about the enemy. But he, but he says, but after all of this, I've just given you, boom, just dumped the whole load on you, God. But suddenly it's like God has reached down. His head is literally in the ground. God has grabbed his chin and, and just lifted it up to look at him. He says, but he looks up and he says, I trust in your faithfulness or your faithful love or your steadfast love or your loyal love. Maybe your translation might say your loving kindness. It's the word chesed, which has no clear English equivalent. I mean, it, it encompasses the idea of a loyal, faithful, committed, covenant love. It's the love that God has for us. It's, it's a commitment to us and to our well-being and, and to and bringing us into his family. He says, I remember the covenant love that you have for me and, and for my ancestors and for Abraham and, and throughout the scriptures, how you have consistently carried your people through all the difficulties and trials of life, all of them. There is nothing you are experiencing that other people haven't experienced before and most likely worse than you or me. He says, but I trust in your chesed, your loyal love. I'm just holding on to that. Life is still hard. <laughs> I can still hear death knocking on my back door, but I've got chesed. I've got your loyal love. I'm holding on to it. Will I be able to travel ever again? I don't know. What will my career look like and my job look like, my post-secondary education look like? I don't know. Will my health situation get better and be fully rectified? I don't know. Will my marriage ever be what I hope it could be? I don't know. But what I do know is that the loyal, faithful, committed, covenant love of God has carried men and women through for the centuries, and that same God is here with me now, holding on to me, carrying me, helping me through the situation that I find myself in. Trust in your faithfulness. It's this confession of trust, the remembering of God's goodness, and then it leads to this praise, this doxological response, as I call it. My heart, may I rejoice because of your deliverance or literally my heart will rejoice in your deliverance uh, I've gone from my head my heart to my head to my heart and now I'm just gonna I'm gonna put my heart on, on something that I know their deliverance will come at some point and I know that you have faithfully carried others through and you will faithfully carry me through and then he looks forward in verse Six, it says, I will sing praises to the Lord when he vindicates me. Or in the CSB it says, because he has treated me generously. The beauty of the scriptures is that we get the end of the story. It's not a, a question of what's going to happen. It's clearly, this is what's going to happen. The people of God will celebrate with their God forever and ever and ever in glory, in a place where there is no sickness, no tears, no suffering, no cancer, no glasses, no hearing aids, no crutches, no wheelchairs, 
no relational breakups, no divorce, no unemployment, no disillusionment, no despair, no anxiety, no depression, no ignorant government rulers. <laughs> you name it, there's not, none of that's there. None of it. And the Psalms of Lament, although written a couple thousand years ago, speak a fresh message to our hearts today. We know how this story is going to end. So no matter where you're in the storm, you can end your lament with praise because of who God is, his faithfulness, and his love for you. He will vindicate he gets the last word. Not the bully at school. Not the boss that's unreasonable and unfair. Not the, you know, political leaders who are trying to follow some type of, of, of wisdom that, that comes from outside of God. I mean, they don't get the final word. God gets the final word. And so as his people, as those who trust in him and believe in him and follow him, we can end our lament with praise as well. And so I've just given you a picture from Psalm 13 of what that could look like. I think we need to have an expression, an opportunity to lament. That's why I'm inviting the church family here, May 23rd, corporately outside for a service of lament. It's not going to be recorded. It's just, uh, if you're here, you're here. If you're not here, you're not here. We, this is not something you can do over the screen. Uh, you can drive in. Um, I encourage you to watch other things. But this is going to just be kind of a, a once-in-a-moment kind of situation where we, you're here, you're here, and it's, it's God's people doing it together. We'll have little cards that if you'd like, you can write out your lament. The things that you've lost or you've missed or you've grieved or you're angry about. Uh, there's one here with a template. We'll have some that are blank. Your kids, maybe this week, you could talk about this with them, could maybe draw a picture of, of things that they are grieving, that they're missing. I'm missing hockey. I'm missing soccer. I'm missing dance. I'm missing this. I'm missing birthday parties. I'm missing going to hang out, you know, uh, relatives in other provinces. I, I don't know what you're missing, what you're angry about, what's, what, what's dragging you down, but you can write that down, and God knows anyway, but you can say, you know, you, you can express your lament to God, and then we're going to have a place where you can, you can put those laments. Because, you know, if you go to Jerusalem, there's the Wailing Wall. And Orthodox and pious Jews go there, and what they do is they write down their prayers, and they roll them up, and they, and they put them in the cracks of the wall. The prayers, prayer for the peace of Jerusalem, pray for the restoration of Israel, etc., etc., etc. So let's have a place where we could come, our, our Wailing Wall, as so to speak, where you can bring your laments. So you can put them, you know, face up or face down. We've got little scriptures on the back side, so we can have that facing up. Maybe your lament could be hidden against the wall, or you could have it available for people to see. But I want to give you an opportunity to lament, to publicly bring forth your things. As a family, to come up, and, and kids putting pictures up, parents putting up their lament. You know, I, I lost my graduation. I wasn't able to go to that wedding. I couldn't grieve properly because I wasn't allowed to go to that funeral. I, I, I missed out on, on community opportunities. I, I, I wish I could, you know, have people over my home and I can't. And, and there, there's things that are making you angry, upset, frustrated. And God says, let me have them. Bring them to me. Bring them to me. And so that's what we're going to do next week. We're going to have this corporate service 
of lament. I've never done this before. So you're going to be guinea pigs with me as we, as we try this. But I, I just felt like, you know, even just as I was dealing with some of my own stuff in my life, that, that this came up as a, as a, as a proper response. Because like, how do I deal with that bitterness or that anger or that frustration? And God says, this is what you do with it. Don't sit in the pool of, of, of anger and frustration. Bring it to me. Give it to me full on. Ask me what you need. Come to that place of confession and then praise. For some, the journey takes longer than others. I, I get it. Lament is, is messy. <laughs> it's not clean. It's not step one, step two, step three, step four. Some people can move through it really fast. Some people, you take, I mean, Psalm 88 is an example. I mean, they're in step one and maybe step two, but they don't get to step three and four. It's just kind of like, bah, 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 and they never actually get to that point, but they will eventually. But God says, bring it to me. It's a starting point, I think, for our healing in this journey that we've been on. And as your pastor, I just want to provide you a spiritual platform for you and for me to process the garbage of this last year. The angst, the, the stress that's put upon your families. It says, let's bring it to God. Let's, let's lay it on, on, on our wall of wailing here at New Life. And then let's get to a place of praise. Let's find a new way forward with God's help and his support. Of course, none of this works unless you know Jesus Christ is your Savior. It's just talk. It's just a religious talk. When you come to the point where you realize God, died, God sent his son to die on the cross for your sins and that, that Jesus rose again and that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, it gives you an orientation that enables you to move forward and have a triumphant outlook in the end. But without Christ, there is no triumph. You're stuck in the cesspool of lament for the rest of your life because sin is the whole reason why we're lamenting. Sin affects every part of our world and our existence and, and families and relationships and jobs and, and creation and schools and politics and government and health systems, etc., etc., etc. Sin is interwoven into all that stuff and therefore we have reason to lament. But in lament, we also turn in faith to God, the faithful God who sent his son to die and rose again. And we anchor our souls in Jesus Christ and we move forward. And so that's what's happening next week. You can, there's a few of these in the, in the foyer there. You can grab some on your way out, but we'll also have a bunch available. We'll make some blank ones for next week. If you have kids, I encourage you to maybe get them to draw a picture or something. You can make your own card of land. If you're one of those creative people, like, I don't want to do my own. Yeah, red, black, blue, green, green, whatever. I don't care. Just something personal. And you say, write down your lament and you can bring it forward and choom, place it on the wall lament next week. If you don't know Jesus Christ, I invite you to receive him today. And then come as his child next week and bring your lament, understanding that your heavenly father loves to hear and respond to your prayer. And so as we close our service, I invite you to pray with me as we pray a prayer of lament and, and anticipate next week as we can come together and, and, and just bring our concerns, our grief, our anger, our, our feelings to the Lord next week and find his healing and his wholeness. Let's, let's pray together. Father, you know everyone's heart here. Those watching online too, Lord. You know the anger, the bitterness, the frustration, the hurt, the sorrow, the depression, 
anxiety. You know everything, Lord. The fear, you know it all, Lord. And we bring that to you today. Lord, we are wondering how long is this going to last? How long till we can get back to regular services? How long till families can get together? How long till we can celebrate a funeral and a wedding in a way it should be celebrated and honored? How long, O oh Lord? Please answer us and respond to us. Hear us and vindicate us. But Lord, we remember your faithful love, your goodness, your grace, your mercy to each and every one of us. We remember that, Lord, and we praise you that you are good and we anticipate the glory of eternity with you in heaven forever and ever. And so encourage hearts here today and I pray that next week our service will bring you glory and will help us to find healing. So do that work in our hearts today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for coming, everyone here and those of you online. We just pray God's richest blessing on you. If you have any questions about the service lament, call us, email us, talk to me or to any of the staff, but we look forward to seeing you next week in the parking lot, 1030. Uh, we, it's going to be broadcast on the FM dial, so you can sit in your cars. If it's snowing, raining, whatever, we're going to do it. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have this corporate service of lament. So look forward to seeing you next week. God bless you. Have a great day.